Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics right here on Blog Talk Radio. Platforms and um, 
you know, we, we talk about, um, you know, uh, just recovering our world. We talk about recovery and, uh, you know, addiction issues. And so we're doing that. And then, yes, we do have our Zoom community events that we are offering um, the second and fourth Thursday of every month. We really, truly believe that, you know, it, you know, hope hearing other people's experiences is a way to allow people to connect. You know, it's a public, open, um, uh, virtual event that people, any, anybody can, you know, zoom in on. Um, you can find the information on our Facebook page, uh, on our website, um, and um, and it's we also have guest speakers. So um, like That's last awesome. night we had yeah we had women from um, the Center for Alcohol and Drug Resources here in Burton County. So it's you know it's just a, a nice platform for people to be able to continue the discussion about addiction because we need it so much in our world right now. People are not talking enough about it. So. We are trying to open up that conversation, and you are opening up that conversation by letting us be on your, your podcast once a month. You've, you've well, been fabulous. You're here. You guys are awesome, and you're doing awesome work, so uh, it deserves to be uh, uh, promoted in any way that we have uh, available and uh, I'm really glad that you're spreading out further into social media. And I will learn from you as I seek to expand uh, what I'm doing. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So um, anyway, so uh, Terry will be coming on. Um, we just spoke to her before we came on, and uh, she was um, she has a son. So I think that she was waiting for her for her husband to come home with pizza, <laughs> and then she said she would pop on. We told her that, you know, Kathy and I speak first anyways, and, um, you know, uh, we, we our topic tonight, um, we're, we're going to continue the discussion about, um, you know, being sober during the pandemic and uh, recovery during the pandemic. But in particular, this episode, um, Terry got sober during the pandemic. Um, yeah which is really neat to actually have somebody, you know, being able to share their story, um, you know, sobriety during the pandemic. Um, that's just uh, unique because this is the first time in the history of getting anybody in recovery since, you know, I think what, 1935 mm-hmm. when uh, Bill and Bob started. started. Yeah. yeah. This is the first time they've ever done it without live meetings. So this is a very unique time for people to get sober. It's also and really when Terry, you I believe Terry What's is that? just called in. I believe that your guest has just called in. Uh, so okay. would you like me to patch her in? Yeah, yeah no, please. I'll patch her in, okay. sure. Awesome. Hi, Terry, is that you? Yes, that's me. Hello. Hi, awesome. Okay, I will sit back and let you guys do your thing. If you need me, I'm only a word away, and I'm looking forward to learning from all of you. Thanks, Hercules. Thank you, Hercules. Hi, Terry. Hello. So good to have you here. I take it the pizza came. Uh. (laughs) It did. It did. (laughs) 
All right, awesome, awesome. So yeah, so um, Terry, thanks for coming on, and and it's it's our usual format um, here on the Elysium Project where Kathy and I start talking for a bit, and then our guests share their story. So we'll just speak for a little bit, and then um, we'll provide the space for you to share your story. So um, how does that sound? Sounds great. Awesome, awesome. So, Kathy, so Nancy. Hello. Hello. We never get to sit together. We're sitting together right now doing this. <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, Kathy and I, we, we were, were really excited to have Terry here again, like we said, because she's going to talk about um, getting sober during COVID pandemic. And, um, you know, and, and so, so I mean, Kathy and I decided that, you know, it would be kind of good to just share about, uh, our own experience getting sober, you know, and uh, just a little about that. We won't, I won't go into too much detail, but just to, so people can see the contrast, right? you know, because we're assuming that there's a lot of people that we're hoping there's a lot of people listening and that just, you know, let's face it. I mean, I would not have known about, you know, uh, just the, the, the process of, um, getting sober for me i got sober in alcoholics anonymous and through people that supported me um on my journey um and of course consequences you know but i mean if somebody was listening on the outside they might not know the difference between getting sober you know um before or you know during covid and so so like so when i was about 26 uh 25 you know i I was um, such a party girl, and I, um, you know, I, I really was very social with my drinking and smoking pot, and I did cocaine, and um, you know, and I had experimented with other substances as well. But those were the three main substances that uh, I, I engaged in, basically. And I always did it on a social level, but I also did it on a driving level. You know, I, I drove a lot, and um, I, I never put two and two together. And, um, you know, and I, I was dangerous driving. Um, I ended up, um, you know, the, my last night I was drinking, I, um, you know, I, I hit a car at a toll booth in Boston, on the Boston Expressway. And, um, it, you know, it was, it was at the toll booth and I just kind of, you know, had a spatial relationship issue for a second. I didn't really know how fast I was going and just banged right into the back of it. And I remember it was a sob. Remember those cars? And, um, you know, and I had a, a Fiero. Remember those cars? Oh my, oh my gosh. God. I know. So anyway, so the, my Fiero hit the back of this car and luckily I didn't do, obviously did too much damage because that car drove off. Never and um, but there was a nice state trooper on the side that pulled me over and I had to do a field sobriety test which I failed miserably and I had no idea that I was unable to walk a straight line or say the alphabet not even backwards I think it was forward holy cow anyway so I got you know my girlfriend was with me and she, by the way she ended up getting sober too like over time she was my best friend. And, um, you know, and, and now we're best friends again, like really good friends again, because, you know, we, we're both in sobriety. But so, you know, I got the, the, the hauled off. I, I had a sober um, relationship. I had a, a boyfriend who um, really wasn't a drinker. He ended up becoming my husband, but he became a safe bet for me, a, a safe spot for me to be able to, um, you know, not drink. 
And then, but I also had a family member who I was very close to who, um, you know, was in sobriety. And she basically um, had pointed out to me that, you know, why don't you do this a day at a time and uh, get on your knees and ask God in the morning to keep you from a drink and at night get on your knees and thank God for keeping you from a drink. Now, the reason why we even had that conversation is because I had to go to a drunken driving program that I was, you know, because I lost my license for like 60 days, 30 days. I didn't really keep it that, that long. It was back in 1987 or 88. Anyways, but the point was is that, that was the beginning of my sobriety, and I was forced to go to AA through, through um, the um, the court system, and I thank God for that experience. I thank God for my, you know, my family member, and I thank God for, you know, my my ex husband who stood by me, you know, well, not, you know, he was just a, a person that didn't drink. So that was how my early sobriety started off, and I think that it's really important that you know. Um, that we share our experiences about such things. And that I'm very grateful that there was somebody that showed me the way. And I also am grateful that I got that DWI and I didn't try to get myself out of it. So that was my experience. I hope that was quick enough. That was really quick. Wow. wow. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> oh, speed dating. Yeah. <laughs> right. uh, okay. So now it's my story. Okay. So, so um, very similar path we've taken. Um, I, I too was 25 years old when I got sober. Um, I too got a DWI and uh, lost my license. Um, wasn't mandated to anything, but, um, you know, at that point I was only 25 years old and I had a child already. So I had a son who was not even two yet. And uh, my addiction just, I, I knew, like, I had a drinking problem, I think, the first time I drank. I mean, I don't think I ever drank uh, socially ever in my life. Because I think once I started, I just couldn't stop. It just never, it just didn't ever go that way. I never had a moment in my life where I had one drink and went home, ever, I don't think. Um, so I, you know, I was married. Uh, I had a son, and I was miserable. And only because I was using, and I didn't know how to be a mother and a wife and be a drug addict and an alcoholic. It was the hardest thing to balance in my life. Uh, so I, try, I went down this path with my son for about a year and a half, and I got pulled over. Actually, the story is that I was outside of a, a local bar, um, and, a, and a neighbor by the, by the bar saw me trying so hard to get my son into a car seat. I was so wasted. And um, they called the cops. And the cops are waiting for me to put my car in reverse. I didn't even have to pull away. Um, they had already, they pulled me over in the parking lot. Um, and then they took my son from me. It was the, it was the worst thing I'd ever seen in my home. Until, I mean, I, I don't remember a ton of it, but I do remember him screaming that because um, they arrested me. They put me in handcuffs, put me in the back of the car, brought me to the police station. And of course I was belligerent. I was just the nastiest thing I I can't believe how I spoke to police officers. It was disgusting. Um, and ironically, when I when this happened, I, I come from a background of people that are recovering and also using. Um, and I went home, and we were all not going to tell anybody that this happened. <laughs> we're just going to make pretend that nothing happened. Meanwhile, I got arrested for DWI. I lost my driver's license. My son was taken from me. And everybody was going to just, not say anything and I happen to have one sister who's in sobriety my middle sister 
and she said, that's just baloney uh, in a nice, kind way. So she made a call to my ex-husband, well, who is my ex-husband now, he was my husband at the time, and said, you know, you need to know that this is what happened, and, um, and she's a mess, and you better, you know, you all better figure this out. So I had another sibling, ironically, it's crazy now I'm talking about it, I haven't talked about this in forever, my brother was also in, in sobriety at the time, and I was at my mom's, and my bro- I said to my brother, he, I said, all right, then I guess I should go to these AA meetings, and my brother said, uh, oh, God, no, you, you're not going to make it on just meetings. <laughs> you have to go to rehab. Uh, so, um, so, of course, my dad hooked me up with a rehab in Kerhonston, New York, called Veritas Villa, and um and I think that was probably the hardest thing I've ever done in my whole entire life, more so that I had to leave my child and I had to admit that I was this like mess. And, um, and it was just, I don't know, it was, a, you know, I'm grateful for the opportunity to have been in the rehab and, and to have been around people that helped me get sober. Um, and I, and I know talking about this whole getting sober in the pandemic thing, I mean, I'm so grateful, unfortunately. I feel bad for people that have to do that because it's such a hard journey to begin with that having the support, you know, of human uh, uh, contact is so, it was so important for me. Like I walked into an AA meeting and I remember my first meeting, a sponsor saying, I mean, a woman saying to me, do you, you have a sponsor? And I said, no. And she said, okay, she's your sponsor. And this is the meeting you're going to go to and you're going to make this coffee until I tell you, you're not going to make this coffee. And you know, it was just, I needed, I needed someone to just tell me everything I needed to do because it wasn't going to come from me. I was just going to sit there kind of numb and just kind of coast along. I think that's really what I was intending on doing. Um, but um, it didn't work that way. People, that people held my hand. They helped me through. Mm-hmm. And, um, and my journey began and it was, and it's been a beautiful one. It's been really, it hasn't been easy, um, but it's been the greatest gift God has ever given me in my life. And um I have had tremendous experiences through recovery and having met so many amazing mm-hmm. people. And I think about Terry getting sober, you know, my niece also got sober during the COVID and, um, and you guys are making it and you're my heroes because um, I, because I think it's amazing that somebody can really connect, you know, mm-hmm. through, through a zoom meeting. Mm-hmm. It, to me, but I mean, I know you know what it, it says to me, this is, this is, I guess how I'll, I'll end it. It says to me that you want it enough. You know what I mean? Like I had to be spoon fed. Somebody had to sit me down because they're sponsors. What are you going to do? And I don't know if I would have done that on a Zoom meeting. I would have probably muted the dang thing, watched Wheel of Fortune while you were all chatting on in an AA meeting. And I may never got it. I may have never gotten it. So for people that are doing this today, I say kudos. You're my heroes. I'm, I, I think it's amazing. You're amazing people. And that just speaks volumes about your desire and your strength and just the want to be sober more than be drunk or be high. And I say, wow. You know, that's um, – I think that from what I really – think is a key ingredient for anybody out there that's listening, um, for anybody that knows anybody, for whatever reason, to ask for help. It's just such a vulnerable space to be, Mm -hmm. you know, and and also, 
you know, I mean, yeah, sure, I was driving around, you know, drunk, which is very unsafe, and 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 it was a consequence for me. But you know, I had a very high bottom. They call it low bottom, high bottom. You know, I was one of those people that got off the elevator before it went all the way down. And um, I guess if I was to leave a message on this podcast, it's like you don't have to. Mm-hmm. You don't have to. You know, it's I I've had a good sober life for 31 years. Yeah. You know, and uh, I've never I've never you know I've never looked back. Like you know, in a way, saying, "Oh, I'm missing out." Never, never. I, I'm, I'm getting it. I mean, I'm getting a lot of good stuff. So, anyway, um, I think it's time to hear from Terry. Hello, <laughs> Terry. Are you still there? You didn't fall asleep, did you? No, I just muted my microphone so I could give you guys entirely the floor. Hey, Terry. But you, hi. Can you hear me? Yes, absolutely. Oh, good. Okay. Hi, thank you guys both so much for your stories. Thank you. <laughs> so I guess it's my turn now then. It is. Yes, it's your is. turn. Tess. You go for it, Terry. <laughs> well, you know what? Tell us what, like, everybody I think is really interested in knowing how this has been. How's this journey going for you? Um, yeah, so, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting for me to even just listen to um, to both Nancy and Kathy to, to just hear your stories sort of condensed because I know that we can tell stories of different lengths, right? You know, you, you all just gave us a little window in, um, and I'm sure that there's so much more there. But as you're talking, I'm thinking to myself that one of the things that happens and this is either in the you know in a physical meeting or by zoom is that we see each other's humanity especially when there's kind of uh especially when somebody reaches a point where it's like like for me I kind of reached a point where I was like okay I'm done you know when I reached that point that I realized that I did not have to do this alone um, and by that, I mean, not only with other people, but also developing that relationship with a higher power, which has been, you know, from listening to people talk on Zoom, um, from having a sponsor now of my own who doesn't live in the same state that I live in. You know, she lives in, she, she lives within striking distance, but she's not somebody that I would have come across in a physical meeting. Um, but I feel so blessed to have her in my life. Um, for me, it's been eye-opening and surprising, difficult and heartwarming all at the same time. And, you know, I'm, I'm coming up on, it's going to be a year for me in May when I put down, you know, when I put down a drink. So, you know, what is it? It's the end of March now. So I have another, I have another few weeks, you know, we do this one day at a time, but we have another few weeks to look forward to before I celebrate a year. And, there's a lot of anniversaries kind of coming up right now with the one year of COVID and the, you know, this worldwide uh, cessation of activity and, and, you know, what we would call um, uh, stay at home orders and that kind of thing. So we're coming up on a year of that. And, um, you know, that really, really played into how I found um, recovery and how I found sobriety. So a lot of people say to me, well, we can't imagine 
getting sober in recover um, in in on Zoom or um, not having face to face meetings. But for me, I I truly don't think you know. Of course, this is my past, but I don't think it could have happened any other way for me. Or kind of like what Kathy said, I feel like in this way, my bottom was brought up to me rather than me having to go all the way down there. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, so my, you know, a bit of my story, um, you know, the, the thing that works in my favor is that I'm not a stranger to 12 step recovery. So I was about 18 when I first started, uh, to look into um, some adult children meetings. I was lucky to go to a college where we actually had a recovering alcoholic um, who ran our campus ministry um, on campus. And he had a a meeting for adult children. And um, it was, you know, it was unlike, it was more warm and more fostering than, than, adult children of alcoholics meetings that I've been to that are like regular 12 step. This was more catered toward the college student and, and sort of more nurturing, but it was a great entry for me into recovery and to understanding um, how to share feelings and, and how to share. Um, I'll never forget one night. One of the things that he um, had us do was share one thing that we wanted to share about that was shameful and that was a real eye opener to me because I do come from a family where, you know, there was a lot of don't talk, don't trust, don't feel, and a lot of chaos, you know. So that was that was huge for me to um, to come into a room where other kids my age were actually sharing that stuff. And I'm talking about kids that were 18, 19, 20, 21. So, but the one thing that I did was, even though I was doing that work while I was in college, I was drinking. And I was able for a good portion of my life to compartmentalize everything, you know, so that even when I got into my 20s and I did more intense, you know, therapy and and adult child work, um, I was I was in group therapy and I had been asked to put aside drinking and I was able to do it. You know, I was it was easy. It was it it was fairly easy because I had changed my whole group of friends that I was hanging out with. Um, But. So somebody, I was at a meeting the other night and somebody was sharing, you know, that the disease is cunning, baffling and, um, cunning, baffling. And what's the third one? Powerful. Mm-hmm. Powerful. Cunning, so cunning, baffling. there we go. The, so the disease is cunning, baffling and powerful. And that's straight, pretty much straight from the big book, but somebody else added and patient, you know, so the disease is cunning, baffling, powerful, and patient. And that was my experience. You know, my disease was waiting, waiting in the wings. Um, and, you know, one of the things that they say about addiction is that you never really know, or a person would never really knows when that line is going to get crossed. And I would say for me, that line got crossed about 10 years ago um, when I started drinking by myself and not telling anybody. And I was really using it. I could say today I, I was really using it as, uh, you know, it was almost medicinal. It was almost like, like if I have pain in my shoulder, I would take a Tylenol. If I had something difficult going on in my life, I would drink. And the thing that I know today, because I've learned so much about the disease, is that it doesn't, you, without interruption and without connecting with other people and developing this higher power, 
um, for, you know, for me, um, without those things, the disease is progressive and it's not going to get better. It's just going to change and evolve and get worse. And that was what was happening for me. You know, Nancy talked a little bit about driving drunk. I was doing that. I didn't do it often, but you know what? One time is too many because that gives, you know, you're, you're behind the wheel of a, of lots and lots of power, lots and lots of weight. And I have heard, you know, like you see it in the news, you you hear it in the rooms about people who have these, you know, tragedies that happen in their life on both sides. Um, I was doing that a couple of times. I, you know, it was, it was definitely getting out of control and I was miserable, you know, like I was trying to force my management of my life in areas where I was unhappy with alcohol. And so I wasn't, I wasn't talking about it. I wasn't telling anybody about it. Um, I did have a friend and, you know, a friend that I had known for about 25 years who had moved to a different state, you know, not with plane right away. And I was talking to her one night and she had been um, several years earlier, she had been working as a support person in a rehab. And what she was doing, the work that she was doing was she was working with um, people who had drug addiction and they would go to rehab. And as a um, condition of their release from different places, whether it be, a, you know, voluntary or involuntary, they would go to like sober houses and they would need to buy groceries and get clothes and still go to meetings. And she would help them with those types of tasks. You know, she would take them to meetings. She would go to the grocery store with them. She would support them buying clothes and things like that. Um, And she, you know, she, when everything was happening a year ago and it was all crazy, she said, you know, a lot of the NA meetings, the Narcotics Anonymous meetings are going online. And she said, they're, you know, from the meetings that I used to go to with people who were newly out of rehab, they're really amazing. And, and the recovery is very, very strong. She said, why don't you dial in with me? Because, you know, she knew that I was still um, going to meetings. Uh, n- never, you know, I would go to AA throughout my life, but I would go there to quote unquote, learn about this, this, the disease and learn about how the disease works. But it was always in relation to family members. It was never in relation to me. And that's how thick my denial was. You know, I didn't realize that being a periodic drinker, um, who, by the way, was always disappointed by just having one drink, you know, and that's today where I see my disease. You know, when we look at the fact that I never wanted just one, and if I did only have just one, I was very disappointed, you know, so there are certain very significant places where I identify as an alcoholic, and that's one of them. Because people who don't have a problem, they don't care. They don't care whether or not they, you know, they have one. Um, and they usually don't have too many. But for me, I always wanted more. And I drank for effect. You know, we, it says it in the big book. We drink for the effect produced by alcohol. So anyway, back to, you know, pandemic, I started logging into these meetings in a different state and I started listening and it was very powerful and people were very, what I heard the most was people's uh, people who were in these meetings, their connection to their higher power. And it was very spiritual. And I have been a spiritual seeker for most of my life, you know, and I, I do, I tried to develop that in different ways. And in the past five years, I have been developing my meditation practice, 
So when people would talk about, you know, developing a higher power, I connected with that and I understood that. But the turning point came for me one night when one of the men in the meetings who I, you know, I, you, you grow to know these people. Like it is Zoom. People are sharing their stories and they're sharing their experience. You get to know who they are. The thing that always freaked me out a little bit was that, like, I didn't, in my head, I didn't want to turn it into, like, a reality show. You know, like, we, we're, we're so inundated with reality shows on TV, and I don't watch any of them, but I always wanted to make sure that I maintained seeing these people as real people and not, like, the entertainment that we're fed on in, uh, social media or uh, television or whatever. Like, I always tried to maintain that human connection with them. And this one person that I always thought his shares were very spiritual, very strong, he said, no matter what happens in my life, I don't pick up. And that night, for some reason, that night, a light bulb went off. And I said, oh, my gosh, this is what I'm doing. If I have a bad day, if I have a fight with my neighbor, if I have, you know, something going on, I'm drinking for pain relief and for tension relief. And he's saying, no matter what happens in his life, he doesn't pick up. And that's when I identified as, you know, I mean, at the time, you know, one, one of the, they, they clearly state in their preamble that alcohol is a drug. So I was hearing that every night for two months, you know, when they would say the, pre, and that's the other thing too. I was logging into these meetings every single night. And that was my new pain relief, you know, like these, these meetings brought me a lot of relief and I felt connected and I felt like people were speaking the truth. And so I was logging in every night and, and it was seeping in and it was seeping in and I said, oh my God, I'm an addict, you know, and that was it, you know, then, and I was still drinking, you know, during that time from March until May. And I did, I was one of the people who was able to decide when I was going to stop drinking. And the night that I put down was May the 9th. So my first day of sobriety was actually Mother's Day. And so, um, you know, hopefully if things go well and I I keep up with my program, I am working the steps now. Um, I did go to Narcotics Anonymous probably for... March, April, May, June. Probably for the first four months, I was I was logging in ex- um, exclusively to NA meetings, and I even got an NA sponsor. I got hooked up with an NA sponsor because I filled out this form. There was like this one meeting that I went to, and they said if you want a temporary sponsor, you can fill out a form, and we'll we'll match you with one. I filled out the form because I started to get really motivated to to get what other people had, to get what you know this. Um, there was just a peace and a joy. And um, and a and a fullness that I heard from people that I didn't have and I wanted, and so they said, "Well, if you want what we have, you have to do what we do." And so they said, "You know, go to meetings, get a sponsor, start working the steps." And so the you know the meetings I was already in, I was all in. Every day I was showing up. Sometimes I would do four meetings a day because um, you know anyone who's who's listening might remember, like, we had a lot of time on our hands a year ago, you know, like a lot of stuff was coming through halt and there was a lot of confusion. So um, I was still working, but I had a lot more time on my hands. So the, um, the, the 12 step meetings got their act together real fast. NA went on, went online real fast all around the world. Um, AA went online real fast. Others followed suit. 
I was going to meetings in Australia. I was going to meetings in Canada. Um, I've been to a meeting in Thailand. You know, like you, we could just pop in, you know, much like this, like time travel. It was almost like time travel. It was crazy. But like that's kind of what I'm saying. When I say that I couldn't imagine it happening any other way, I went to so many meetings in the first eight weeks of, of pandemic that listening to everybody share their joy and their pain is what brought my bottom up to me because I couldn't have gotten that kind of an immersion in regular life. So, you know, I have a sponsor now. I'm work. I'm halfway through my fifth step. I do my fifth step every other day with my sponsor. There's a boatload of resentments that I have written about. Took me about three months to write my fourth step. Um, you know, my life is definitely, I don't, yeah, I'm, I'm in a better place than I was a year ago, for sure. I don't know where my recovery is going. I don't know where my step work is going to be taking me, but I'm very, very grateful for the people that I've met. Um, I, it's really actually very cool the way that I know Nancy. I know Nancy not because we, ha- we actually have met in person at this point, but like I met her through somebody that I was, I started attending this meeting once I realized that my drug, my drug of choice really is alcohol. So in uh, July, I really switched over to AA um, from NA and I pretty much stopped going to NA meetings and exclusively started going to AA meetings. And through this one meeting that I found, which is a meeting out of Vancouver, British Columbia, um, I actually sort of found Nancy through somebody that goes to that meeting and because I, you know, because I meditate and Nancy meditates, we sort of connected over meditation practice. And so it's just really amazing. And then, like, to, to talk to her and to meet her, we actually know a lot of the same people because we're kind of from the same area. And, um, you know, that's really very cool and exciting. And I, and I really feel like it's such a gift in my life. So the whole thing has been surprising and um, hard and easy and you know, (laughs) full of misery and full of beauty all at the same time. And, and, you know, right now I'm just trying to keep an open mind and see where everything is going to be going. So I appreciate you guys asking me to come and talk tonight. Totally appreciate you. My goodness. Mm -hmm. I love listening to you speak about the light bulb going off and, and zoom meetings being pain relief. I'm really glad that we all were able to discuss about, you know, drinking and driving. I don't think that that's, you know, just think about it. Like, I mean, one of the reasons that, you know, first of all, alumni and recovery exist is to bridge the recovery community and allow people in the recovery community to speak openly about the disease process of addiction and alcoholism. So it's not like we have, like, discussions out there all the time about, you know, what it's like to drink and drive. Mm-hmm. You know, as a result, you know, of just active drinking. I mean, people just don't talk about this. So the fact that all three of us were able to talk about it, thank you, Hercules, for having us on. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's, it's really, thank you. <laughs> it's really, it's really an important thing to consider that all three of us had that in our background. Um, you know, it's just so dangerous. Mm-hmm. And it's so, it's really, yeah. okay, I'm sorry. I know I'm just kind of backing up. But, but you know, the thing I think is really important for people in general to realize is that 
Addiction is something that we just don't know who's going to really have it. Like, you know, um, you were talking about that. Just one glass of wine was never really like something I was interested in. What about you, mm-hmm. Kathy? I never drank one glass of wine. No, no, no. I mean, no, exactly. It's like I never. Could, yeah, yeah. That's, um, you know, you said that as they say in, um, you know, people in recovery say normies. You know, it's just that's not something that would have been a consideration. And uh, But uh, what I'm trying to say is that, you know, that's okay for some people. But there's some people that if we have the ability to begin to start recognizing all of us out there, everybody in the world, you know, is that maybe we, you know, we have some predisposition to to getting addicted to alcohol or drugs it's something that we really you know because once you're in the thick and the stew of it and the soup of it it's real hard to back out Mm -hmm. you know but if you can kind of catch it beforehand i'm not talking temperance i'm not talking necessarily everybody should be dry Mm -hmm. i'm just saying that we need to be mindful and, um, and, and, you know, but I just loved listening to you talk about the immersion of, of being in, um, you, you know, that you might not have, that it was the best way for you to get sober. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was how you got sober. But the fact that um, you're right, we just got, you know, the AA community and the NA community got their acts together really quick and yeah. Zoom just went viral, you know. And like you said, there were meetings everywhere and it was like time traveling. I couldn't get over it. I could say, do I want to go to a meeting in South Carolina today or New Jersey? You know, I mean. Oh, I know. I love it. I go to Connecticut and Massachusetts. You know, what state do I want to jump yeah. into? And if somebody had said that to me three months prior to the pandemic, I would have sure. thought, what the heck are you, you talking, talking about? about? <laughs> what are you talking about? But the, the immersion, the pain, the joy, and the gratitude during the pandemic, you're right. Because. You know, Bill Wilson, who is the founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, writes in a small book that he has called As Bill Sees It, little quotes of his. He just says, enjoy, there's nothing but great joys and great sufferings. There is no in-between. Mm. And I really like that because it's it's true. You know, it's either, mm. and, 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 you know, I think what you just said about this whole crisis creating great joys and great sufferings. Mm-hmm. You know, but um, I don't know. That was uh, pretty cool. Do you have anything, Kathy, you want to ask Terry or say anything? I, I, you know, I really think that um, the cool part about your story for me was that you started out with uh, being, you know, going to meetings uh, as a child of an alcoholic. Is that what it was? Like a mm-hmm. alcoholic, right? Adult children of alcoholics. It's, you know, yeah. it's so interesting how sometimes God puts us in the path of recovery And look at, you know what I mean? And it took you here, you know? I think it's fascinating to me that, uh, because, I mean, I think all of us, listen, I mean, I don't speak for anyone but myself, but I'm not going to say that not once did I not think that I came from a totally (laughs) dysfunctional, you know, alcoholic family. I knew that, you know, I knew that. And when you just said, Nancy, that, you know, I, I, I remember telling my kids, they were teenagers, and I remember saying to my kids, listen, you can take a drink and I can save you a seat in Alcoholics Anonymous, or you can learn to live life on life's terms and maybe not even bother, you know. But to think that it would escape you out of a whole generic predisposition of, like, hundreds of alcoholics. Yeah. 
You know what I mean? Uh, it's pretty much not happening. So. Yeah, it really is. Well, there is quite a genetic link. A genetic link to it, I'm telling you. As well as mm-hmm. just uh, the whole environmental, you know, uh, what you grow up into component. Because mm-hmm. I, too, had the, the familial path yeah. of, you know, alcohol alcohol abuse for lack of a better term there's no doubt about it and and I've said it on this podcast before I remember being a little kid in my room saying I'm never going to drink I'm never going to drink because I'd be listening to everybody fighting like cats and dogs downstairs Mm -hmm. and you know due to alcohol Mm -hmm. and and I hated it I hated it yeah Mm. yeah so do you have anything else you want to talk about, Terry, or say, or? Um, yeah, I'm just, it's, um, I think also, you know, as we're talking, the, the thing that I really want to highlight for maybe for anybody who might be listening um, is the thing that really is important to me now is idea of what an alcoholic looks like or an alcoholic acts like and I certainly had my own ideas about that um, but if if one kind of looks at the literature especially you know the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous there's lots of different stories about how people's alcoholism or addiction manifests and there's not just one way and there's not Sorry? a singular way for people Hi, we seem to have uh, been cut off, so I'm going to play a song and see if we can get people uh, back.
Project. This is Hercules Invictus. We seem uh, to be having connectivity problems. I'll play another song. I apologize uh, uh, for this uh, inconvenience and of uh, cutting the show short. Let's see if we can fix it in a few minutes. Uh, this is Bone Poets Orchestra, Cry Freedom.
one thing is all.